This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 240 with guest Amber Ray. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me this week. I have a story to tell you before I jump in to the conversation that I had with our guest, Amber Ray. Many of you are on my email list, so you may have read this email that came through to your inbox a couple of weeks ago, but I know many of you are not, or you just delete my emails, so <laughs> this will be new to you. I I want to tell you this story because I got so much response from it. And to be honest, it was one of those stories where before I sent it out, it was like the cringy face emoji where I was like, oh my God, am I actually going to send this out to people and like tell everyone this very personal story? But so many of you messaged me saying, oh my God, that email you sent out this morning is so me or that was me. And I made sure <laughs> this is one of those stories too where I don't want my children to hear it. They're too young for this. So maybe, I mean, it's not explicit. It's not that explicit. But if you have young children in the car, you might not want to have them hear this, depending on their age. But it is a good moral of the story. It is a good life lesson. And I made sure that my kids are not around listening at the door, not that they ever do that. But I want to tell you this story because it just, it was one of those things where Again, just huge, huge life lesson. All right, so let me just let me just spit it out because I'm like kind of stalling. Yeah. So 13 years ago, as many of you know, I've talked about it on the podcast before. I was pretty much eyeball deep in love addiction. And what that looked like for me is to be totally frank, I used men and relationships and sometimes sex to validate myself, to give me the illusion of confidence and give me some kind of what I felt was self-esteem. And I wasn't aware of it at the time, but what was really happening is I was constantly chasing love because I was ashamed of who I'd become. Really, I just wasn't proud of the woman I was. And I was ashamed of who I had become because of the choices I made when I was chasing love. So I was in a complete shit pickle. This cycle had been going on for years of being so far from my best self, so far from this person that I really wanted to be. So in early 2006, I went on a first date with a guy I had met on an online dating site. And I had been dating online for not that long, maybe two or three months at this point. And he was so funny in his emails. He was handsome in his pictures that when I met him, he was six foot three, tall drink of water, so handsome. And he was so charming. And you probably know where this is going, right? (laughs) Where this is going. And Our conversation just flowed so effortlessly. However, during that first date, my intuition whispered that something wasn't right about him. He seemed a little bit too good to be true, but I ignored it. And instead, 
I slept with him on the first date. And that was the first time I had ever slept with someone on the first date. And we had shared two and a half bottles of wine that night. And that probably added to that decision that I made. But I had convinced myself that he was Mr. Right. And I went on a second date with him. And I remember exactly where we were sitting. And that voice got louder of mine saying, there are too many red flags. Something isn't right just no, 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 no. I ignored all of those red flags and I continued to date him for nine more months. And then after that, it all fell apart. If you read my second book, you know in the introduction that I tell the story of uh, he had basically conned me out of thousands of dollars. He, during our relationship, had told me he had cancer and the efforts that he went to, the lengths that he went to, to pretend that he had cancer were like beyond belief. My niece's entire third grade class had even made him get well cards. The whole class, like she presented him with this Ziploc bag full of get well cards from her third grade classmates for his fake cancer. He had lied about pretty much everything. I also even found his emails, because I had hacked into his email account, but that's how I found out a lot of the lies. But there was even emails that I had found and cards that I had found (laughs) um, that he had used the same lines and the same jokes on other women that he had on me. I also found out that I was not the first person that he had lied to about that story of covering up um, his, his drug addiction with this story of cancer. So moral of the story is what I'm getting to. Why did I allow this to happen. When in the beginning, I knew something was wrong. Why did I completely isolate myself from most of my friends? I didn't check my email for months on end. I didn't return texts. I didn't return phone calls. And when I did, I lied about what was happening to try to, because my intuition at that point was like, something isn't right. But I had, I had let myself go so deep into this relationship. I was, I felt like it was too late to back out and I had to make up that it was a lot better than it really was. And plus, y'all, I was fresh. I mean, my divorce wasn't even final yet from my first husband who had cheated on me with our neighbor and got her pregnant. So that was all still going on as well. And I was like still hearing about stuff about them and trying to navigate that and that divorce. And it just was the lowest of the lows for me. So why did I do all that? Why did I lie to myself and others about how things were going and just about the whole thing in general? The truth of it, and again, this is in retrospect, but the truth of it was that during that time, I was desperate for love and belonging. I behaved in a way that was totally out of alignment with who I was deep inside, my true self, if you will. And it was out of alignment with how I could make myself proud in that period of nine months, just really when I was dating him, I was people-pleasing. And I mean, to the point of complete and utter codependence. I was perfecting. I was isolating and hiding out. I was numbing out so much. And I was blaming. It was all my ex-husband's fault. And that's what I was used to doing. If you read my second book, (laughs) all those behaviors, that was my life. It was what I was used to. So your story might look like mine or it might not, but I'm pretty sure that even if your circumstances are different, you know what it feels like to engage in that list of shitty behaviors like chasing perfection or people-pleasing, 
codependence, numbing out, and maybe you do them so regularly, you don't even know that you're doing them. But I can assure you, they are making you feel like shit. And what that brings me to is the work that I do now with women. And I remember I was just talking to somebody about this the other day and how grateful I am that I did end up having that relationship with him because he did end up going to a rehab treatment center and I was invited for family week and I got to go there for a few days and of course was there for him as we were trying to work it out. It ended up not working out, but for me, it was the first time I got a glimpse of what my own responsibility of what I was doing and was like, oh my God, like there are people here. I mean, even if you don't go to an inpatient treatment center, like there are people here who are like, you've just made it your job to work on yourself. (laughs) That's amazing. As fucked up as we all are, y'all are here really making it a priority to work on yourself. And that is really what it takes. I think, you know, if you're in that place where there's been trauma, there's maybe there's PTSD that's going on where you are in a really tender, tender place, just fresh out of something like I was, I do think for those people, therapy is your way to go for a while. For me, that's exactly what it looked like. I had to go to therapy on the regular. 12-step programs actually helped me. And then I got to a point where I was like, okay, so what now? What do I do that I kind of like got my head above water and am really aware of all of the behaviors that I'm doing that are creating this reality that I have put myself into? What do I do now? And that's what really brought me to the work that I facilitate now. And I know that the biggest thing that has helped me the most is the work that I do that I was certified in under Brene Brown and her senior faculty and her research of The Daring Way. And I've talked to you all about that a little bit because I, over the last four years, have facilitated that one-on-one privately with clients. And now what I did, then I said, hey, I'm going to do these retreats at the end of the year. And a bunch of you said yes, and those sold out really quickly. And I know it's not feasible for a lot of you to travel because you have kids or whatever the reason is. So I wanted to create something that is feasible for you. And that's why I created the mentorship. And the mentorship is the daring way work that is all based on the topics of vulnerability. Because you know what? In order to face all that shit I was doing (laughs) to take responsibility for my life was vulnerable. In order to set boundaries and have hard conversations with people and say, no, you know what? I will not allow you to treat me like this anymore that is vulnerable, to go after the person that you want to date, the job of your dreams, to ask for a promotion, all of to live, to go after the person, the life that you want is vulnerable. The topics of vulnerability, courage, shame, resilience, and connection. Those are the four big umbrella topics that we cover in The Daring Way. So it's a virtual retreat where you don't have to leave your house. You just need a good internet connection and followed up by 15 group calls, a total of 17 weeks together where there's group support. There's support from me. I know a lot of programs like this. What I've been hearing as women have been filling out their applications is I signed up for a program like this, but I was disappointed because the person I thought was going to facilitate it, the coach or whomever, wasn't actually there all that much. It was one of her associates. That's not how it is. It's going to be me. And 
Um, it is capped at 12 women. So y'all can't hide. It's not a big, big, big group where you're like, I'm just going to quietly step out the back door and hope Andrea doesn't notice or nobody else notices. Nope. You don't show up for a couple of weeks. Guess who's going to email you? Me. And let's see what else. Two private sessions with me. That's all the logistics. Go over to yourkickasslife.com slash mentorship. That link is also in the show notes of this episode. And I would love to have you fill out an application if you feel like it's right for you. And if we feel like it's a good fit, I will hop on the phone with you, tell you anything you need to know. I will be so honest with you if I feel like it's a good fit or not, if I think that it is the perfect next step for you in your journey. And some people have been asking me, I cannot promise I'm going to offer this again. Uh, This is just something I came up with because I sold out the retreats and wanted to have something for people to do at the end of this year as you walk into 2019 as your best self. So that's that. I ended up talking longer than I wanted to, but I hope you enjoyed my story. Even if the mentorship is not for you, I hope you got something out of it. (laughs) Again, yourkickasslife.com slash mentorship. And let's switch gears and let me tell you a little bit about today's guest, Miss Amber Ray. Amber Ray is an author, artist, and speaker whose work invites you to live your truth, befriend your emotions, and express your gifts. Her writing has reached over 5 million people in 195 countries. Her public art has spread over 20 countries, and she's spoken to and collaborated with brands like Kate Spade, Apple, Amazon, and Unilever. She's been featured in the New York Times, Time, Fast Company, ABC World News, Tim Ferriss's blog, and more. So without further ado, here is Amber Ray. Amber, thank you so much for being here. Of course. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm just really excited. I get really excited anytime somebody <laughs> has a book <laughs> because I know how that is. I know it's like oh, birthing yeah. a baby and <laughs> and how exciting and emotionally um, just crazy it can feel. You know, everyone's experience is different. But I want to jump right in because I have several questions I want to – and we might kind of go all over the place. And it is because that's how it happens in the world of personal development. You jump from one topic to another because they Mm. can be so vast. But let's start with something I think that all of my listeners have struggled with to varying degrees in one time of their life or another, maybe even currently. And that's the topic of playing small. So Mm. what are some ways – can you give us some advice about how to overcome that fear and instead go all in, whether it's a project or a dream or changing your life? Yeah. So quick story first, before, since you you brought up the book. (laughs) (laughs) So when I woke up on my 30th birthday, I noticed that I was really sad and I was very confused because it was obviously my birthday and I wanted to be happy because it's a happy birthday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, I've been doing a lot of work around our emotional landscape. And so decided to take out my notebook and use the tools that I know to look at that sadness and understand where it was coming from. And so I pull out my journal. I'm like, hey, sadness, it's me. It's Amber. You know, you're here. I see you. Thank you for showing up. What is it that you want me to know? And sadness said to me, um, you know, first long winded, lots of things. And finally got to a point where I really felt something. And that's when sadness said, you're playing small and I'm sick of it. Shut up. Yeah. And I was like, "Ooh." (laughs) All right. So wait, I'm going to stop you before you continue. So do you hear, do you, when you journal like that and do those kind of, I'm, you know, I can call it a meditation or whatever it is. Do you, is it like a feeling that washes through you? Do you just start writing? Do you hear it? Like, how does that work for you? 
Yeah, I mean, my I have a lot of characters. I have like 27 characters in my head that I talk to. Okay, okay, that's a little bit alarming, but yeah, go with it. <laughs> my good friend calls it multiple personality order. Right, but I, I thought the same thing. But yeah, <laughs> but no, but so it's it's a combination. Sometimes I hear a voice that's like, "You're not good enough to do that," or sure. "Who do you think you are?" Mm-hmm. or this isn't very good. And, you know, that's like one, one kind of thing. Other times it's just like an overwhelming sensation or feeling in my body that, that I'll just like feel. And then I'll be like, what is this feeling? Oh, okay. This is, this is like sadness. What's going on here? And then for me, as you know, as a writer, I immediately turn to my journal and I get curious. I quote unquote, choose wonder. (laughs) And so, so, so yeah. So when I turned toward that emotion on that birthday and and it said, you're, you're playing small and I'm sick of it. I thought that was really interesting because it's actually really revelatory because I realized the first step is that I needed to admit to myself that I was playing small Mm -hmm. because up until that point I was like, no, I have all these great projects. I'm like speaking and doing art and like kind of starting a journal and I'm thinking about a podcast and I had like, you know, 17 different projects that I was exploring all at once. And I thought all was great, but really because I was afraid to go all in on something um, and the one thing that really mattered most, which for me at that moment was a book, I, yeah, I was, I was playing small and spreading thin across several things. And so step one is like admit that you're playing small. And then step two is get curious about why you're playing small. And so, you know, in that moment when I named to myself that I was playing small, I then started to wonder like, well, where is this coming from? And, you know, there was a fear of, you know, not being good enough, of not deserving it. There was all these stories that I started to unpack and really um, just like flesh out. And so I'm, you know, I really love the process of getting to the root. You know, we can like, here's this, you know, we can like, here's something to fix it, but like, actually let's understand where it's coming from. You know, when I understood that it was this fear that it might not be good enough, that I might not be ready, that people might hate it, you know, and all these things, I began to flush those out. I then could look at each of those stories and either revise it, shift it, or wonder where it came from and if it was even mine or if it was something that I had inherited from someone else. Oh my gosh. Okay. No, keep talking. I'm going to cut you off. I'm just excited about (laughs) what you're saying. (laughs) This is what happens all the time on my podcast, but go ahead. (laughs) No, I'm curious where you're going to go. Well, that's exactly, you said the word that I was it just seems like and, – and I know this is like the, the theme of your book is is curiosity and that's what I, I – I am a peddler. I am an evangelist <laughs> of curiosity. And I love that you – and this is actually admittedly something I need to, in my own practice, do more of because I'm samesies. If I journal it out, it's uh-huh. amazing to me what actually comes out on paper and it's similar. That's why I got really curious about how yours shows up in your life and mine is similar, but it, it comes out in my writing. You know, mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. like you're playing small and I'm sick of it. And I do actually have a question to add on to that. So how would one, cause I, when people want to have guests on, I often think, okay, what are my, what are my listeners thinking right now? And I'm assuming that some of them are thinking, okay, but I'm doing so much. They, Mm -hmm. they like you were saying, you know, like all of the projects that they have, their to-do lists are so full. So how, how would, how would one distinguish Mm. when they are choosing the small projects, I guess is my question. Yeah. So I have another story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a story person and then I go into tactics. Um, so, cause it, 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 it stems from what I started. So after 30th birthday, all of that, my fiance gifted me this workshop with Elizabeth Gilbert and Rob Bell. And I'm sitting in the audience and someone asks Liz, Liz, how do you do everything? And mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, Liz, tell me, tell mm-hmm. me how you like do all tell the things. The secrets. 
Um, tell me the secrets because I'm doing all the things too and I want to do them all really well. She told a story about um, when she was wanting to write but not really writing and she was complaining to this wise older woman and the wise older woman said to her, listen, you're going to have to say no to claim the life that you say that you want. And she was like, yeah, you're right. I should say no to all these things that I should be doing that I don't want to be doing. I should say no to this. I should no say no to this. And the wise older woman stopped her and she said, no, you have to say no to things that you do want yep. to claim the life that you really mm-hmm. want. So what do you want even more? And so, you know, for me, it's always a process of like, wait, what do I want more than all the other things? And it's a process of really knowing what my priorities are. Because anytime I'm saying I don't have enough time, there's so much on my plate, what I'm really saying is that I don't know what matters and I don't know what my priorities are right now. Mm-hmm. And so it's really a process of pausing. And I like to make two lists. I like down a sheet of paper. On one list, it's like, I want this. And then on the second list is I want this even more. And, you know, sometimes... And it's not like you can't do all the things. It's the sequencing of those things. Right. And, you know, how do you like, so for me, I had like 17 things in the column of what I wanted and in the right column of what I wanted even more was my book and bookstores. And so I spent a year and a half only doing that. And now I'm like, oh, the journal fits in here. Oh, that goes there. Oh, this makes sense. Oh, we can use this for this. And it's like all the other things I was thinking about, it actually wasn't their time yet because the the most important first step was was that book for me. So I'd be curious for the audience for you know, for them to reflect on what is really the largest priority? What of all those things makes their heart swell, gives them the most energy, feels like the must, yes, do this first. Mm-hmm. Yes to all of that. I love the exercise of writing down what you want and then what you want what you want more. Yeah. I think that's really telling. And I also want to tag on to that and y'all may have heard me talk about this on the podcast. I give this assignment out a lot is to write down we're going to talk about the inner critic too is to write down the to-do list of your inner critic and the to-do mm. list of your best self because mm. a lot of times what's on your to-do list is the shit that your inner critic says that you should do which is these expectations and these lists that are just not humanly possible. So I just want oh, to I throw that. that in there for a bonus exercise. So speaking of inner critic, so your book is called Choose Wonder over worry and you kind of classify wonder and worry in very distinct ways. So can you can you talk about that for a moment? Sure. So I, I think of worry as our um, inner critic, as yeah. that voice inside our head telling us all those terrible things about us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and wonder is more the curious inner guide. So wonder is both like, hmm, inner critic, like that's interesting you're saying that. You know, where did that come from? Or, you know, is that what evidence do we have to prove that that's not true? It's both like looking within and wondering about the stories that we're telling ourselves, as well as like noticing, ooh, that's interesting out there. Ooh, I like those colors. Hmm, I like how that person's doing that. So it's like a guy, an internal and external guide to us really realizing the fullness of ourselves. I, lo- I, I love that so much. And it's so interesting the more – because I use that mantra. I call it a mantra of like, well, that's interesting. Um, when I hear my inner critic, I also say, well, that just happened, you know, just as like, like, yeah, I'm just acknowledging that, that happened, but that that's interesting. I found myself doing that years ago. I started, I took it on when I would find myself being envious or jealous of someone else, mm-hmm. especially of like another woman. Or if I was getting critical of someone else, like, I don't like her shoes, you know, like, <laughs> It's not about the shoes. Like it's something else is going on. Yeah. So I love that exercise. Oh my gosh. I'm just really curious. How did you, like, was this your own, 
Like, did you get hit over the head with something or was this your <laughs> kind of like own kind of come to Jesus moment with the wonder and worry? How did this sort of come about? Yeah, I mean, it came because one day I was like, yo, asshole inside my head, what the fuck is up? Like, uh-huh. what is going on? Yeah, like a fierce throw and that, Yeah, and that voice was like, you are what is up. And I was like, geez, okay, I'm trying to do my best here. And like, what is it that you're trying to tell me? And then the the inner asshole was sort of like, well, I don't know how else to get your attention because I see you continually self-sabotaging when you care about these dreams. And so I'm yelling things to like, to have you wake up and listen. And that's when I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And so, you know, a big part of it is yes, oftentimes the inner critic is like conditioning and beliefs we've inherited and all these things. And also I've discovered that sometimes it it actually wants to protect us or illuminate Mm. something that we really care about that we either aren't focusing or paying attention to. So oftentimes the critic is actually like, can be useful, a useful ally being like, hey, I know this matters to you. And so what are we going to do about it? So I found that very interesting. But yeah, how this all, you know, a decade ago, I, I mean, a decade ago, I was like climbing the ranks in Silicon Valley, popping Adderall to get more done, believing that men would not love me because of early childhood. I had like all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Oh, daddy issues. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. We saved you a seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, you know, it was just a process where I, that led to like a full breakdown. And, you know, with that, that's when I really started to curious, get curious and wonder about, wait, like, who am I? Why am I doing this? This is not me. What is me? And it was all those questions that sort of, that sent me on this inner quest and this, you know, external quest as well of self-discovery. And through that, that's when I just began exploring, you know, I lost my dad when I was a kid and I actually, when that happened, I began to study psychotherapy when I was like 11. (laughs) So I was a strange kid that was just always interested in in the realm of the inner world. And so that coupled with this life breakdown and then really diving deeper and deeper into the world of personal development and psychotherapy and neuroscience and all that all culminated into the wonder and worry work and all of the 27 characters inside of me. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious about that. I didn't I didn't know a lot of your your past history and, and everything. So I I feel like sort of the message over the last 10 or so minutes that we've been talking is, I don't know if you see this in your audience, but I see a lot of my community, they want a solution. They want like an answer, like, tell me how to change, you know, sort of like that, you know, not even necessarily a step-by-step process. Like, yes, they want that, but, but like there's, they feel like they are broken and there's an answer out there somewhere to fix them. And I feel Mm -hmm. like so, and this is even in just my own experience, but in seeing it in other people is that, oh my gosh, if we would just stop and listen to what is happening and getting curious. And that's what a lot of your book is about, getting really curious. And that self-awareness, I I always say, you know, self-awareness is is half the battle. And I, I hate using the word battle. I need a new I need a new word for that. But I am I'm beginning to think it's even more than that. It's like 80% of it is just knowing what's going on, you know, whether it's your inner critic or I remember I had a huge epiphany. I was a, a speaker at Soul Camp in 2015 and I had this huge aha moment awakening at a workshop that Natalie Berthold did with like family constellation therapy. And, and Terry Cole was one of my roommates. We were all kind of bunked up together. So I excitedly, I'm like, you know, she's a psychotherapist. I'm like telling her that this happened and I uncovered this uh, core belief that I had. And oh my God, uh, what do I do with it now? And she was Mm -hmm. brushing her teeth and she was like, well, you don't have to do anything. And I was like, "Uh, oh, (laughs) 
sure you're not just saying that because you're brushing your teeth? Like, no, <laughs> like you don't have to. But which brings me to my next question for you is, is what are some ways, you know, here I go, like, give us some strategies. But I, <laughs> I'm asking about the inner guide. You know, we yeah. were talking about these, this inner critic and, you know, your journaling practice and listening to this inner guide. What are some ways that which we can be more in tune with it and listen? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to take a step back and then I'm going to answer that. So I, what you said, you know, broken, wanting an answer to fix it. Uh, what I've often found that helps me is remembering that my mess is my message. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I'm like, oh, this is so broken, I'm like, wait, 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 actually where I'm broken, I can use this as fuel. I can take this mess and use it to uncover something inside of me and then use that message to support and guide others. Just one that felt called to say yeah. that. Yes. And then totally like the, the answer, you know, we're looking for answers outside of us when those answers are actually within. So it's how do we tap into and, and, and get that answer? And first, so there's three steps that I walk through anytime like the inner critic or worry is chiming in. And this is really how we can use our wonder to get curious about the worry and often find wisdom. And so there's three steps. It's first you name it. And that is, you know, Dr. Dan Siegel, he's a psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. And he said that, you know, he, he coined the phrase name it to tame it, which is basically, you know, research shows that when we can name what we're feeling, when we're feeling it, we can reduce our sensation around it by up to 50%. And so like, if you're feeling anxious, you're feeling afraid, you feel like you're playing small or like whatever it is, or like, maybe it's just a sensation in your body and you don't know what's going on, but you don't feel like yourself. If you can pause, take a breath and name what you're feeling, either just to yourself or writing it down on paper, that will reduce the sensation and also take you back to the present moment. And then the second step is to talk to it and have a dialogue. And so this is where you can really tap into that inner guidance by getting curious about the discomfort. So it's like, hey, you know, uncomfortable feeling in my body. Like, what message do you have for me? Or this shows up a lot for me when I'm writing and my perfectionist chimes in and is like, this is terrible. Everyone's going to hate it. You should stop now Mm -hmm. because you're not actually a good writer. Yeah, I've been there. (laughs) And I'm like, hey, perfectionist, what's going on? And the perfectionist will be like, well, I just really want a high quality output of work. I'm Mm -hmm. like, great. We have the same goal. (laughs) And like, thank you for sharing that. (laughs) And you're a really poor communicator. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, this is really intense, like a little dramatic. Thank you. Um, and then, you know, when we have that dialogue, then once we can talk to it rather than just like, cause oftentimes what I, what I hear people say is that they just like try to like cut it off, shut it down, push it away or not actually hear it. But it's like a child that's acting out Mm -hmm. and we wouldn't be like, we wouldn't punch a child in the face. We'd be like, Hey, like, let's, let's take a moment. Let's talk. It's okay. And so when we can do that with our uncomfortable emotions, it's okay. We got this. They calm down. And then that leads to my third step, which is then we can like set a boundary and make a request. So like when, if the perfectionist, for example, is like chiming up, I can be like, Hey, I totally get you care about the quality of the work. We have the same goal. Listen, I need to write a shitty first draft and get really messy for the next hour. And then maybe I'll ask your opinion on some editing things. So can you like go peace out and go get a massage Mm -hmm. while I write this article? And then the perfectionist chills out and like goes away for a little while. And so 
you know, in that I can like often also realize that like the guidance of the perfectionist actually just really cares a lot and just doesn't fully know how to communicate with me. So, so that's more an approach for how we can tame the anxiety, the discomfort, the fear and the messier emotions that emerge. And once we do that, that's like, it's like, I feel like tapping into guidance is like peeling back an onion. So it's like we have these layers and there's the pearl of wisdom on the inside, but oftentimes there's the layers of fear and anxiety and discomfort that are above that pearl of wisdom. And so first it's like taming that so we can actually then hear ourselves and hear what wants to be revealed underneath it. And then in terms of like guidance, you know, my, my go-to approach, I, you know, I've, we've said this and we've talked about this, but is that that practice of journaling? And, you know, in the artist's way, Julia Cameron, um, great, great book. It's, I've been doing this practice for almost 10 years, which is those morning pages every morning, three stream of consciousness pages. Right now I'm feeling, sometimes I'll have the prompt of what wisdom is wanting to be revealed to me and just letting myself flow in stream of consciousness until I tap into that nugget of wisdom. Wow. It sounds like you've got it down to a science. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I, I love all of that. And so everyone, just just in case you're just joining us, even though this isn't live, I just felt like I needed to say it like that, like we're on a radio show. <laughs> Choose, wonder, over, worry, move beyond fear and doubt to unlock your full potential. And okay. I, I mean, I don't disagree with any of that. So I don't have anything to add on. You you just um, nailed it so, so, so well. And I want to... I wanna, um, ask you about, there was a blog post that you wrote called The mm. Beauty in What is Broken. You know, we spoke mm. about mm. about feeling broken a few minutes ago, and you described the Japanese art known as kintsuji. Hopefully we're pronouncing that right. We had a conversation about it before we started recording. <laughs> and that's sort of this perfect example of something being broken turned into beautiful art. It's an analogy. And so can you talk more about the comparison and how you turn something messy and fearful into something beautiful? Yes, I love so I love the Japanese art. I hope I'm going to say it right now, kintsugi, mm-hmm. um, which basically they it's an art of taking shattered pottery and they piece it back together with gold lacquer. Mm-hmm. And the process does not hide the broken cracks, the edges, the imperfections, and rather it's a celebration and a highlighting of those edges is making a unique piece of art that otherwise would not exist. And so I love to think about that as a metaphor for our lives: the edges, the imperfections, the cracks. Those are all part of what makes us uniquely us. It's those experiences, those, you know, moments of pain that we can really um, use to create beautiful art and use to connect with others. And so, you know, I think in terms of my journey that, you know, I think even how the message of choose wonder over where he came was because I was anxious, afraid and worried all the time, constantly listening to this critical voice inside of my head. And then that took me on a journey of learning how to work with it and learning how to not just say, you know, go away, let me get rid of you, but rather let me learn to, um, let me learn to embrace you and welcome you and allow you to be here too. It reminds me of the Buddha talks about how, the devil, I guess like Mara kept wanting to wreak havoc on the Buddha's life. Mm -hmm. And the the Buddha said, instead of, I think who wrote about this? It's in the book, Radical Acceptance. I'm forgetting the author right now. Tara Brock. Brock. Uh Yeah. And she basically, the Buddha, you know, the Buddha's assistant was like, Mara's going to come wreak havoc and ruin everything. And Buddha was like, no, let's actually invite Mara in for tea. Mm -hmm. And let's invite Mara, this like devilish figure in as an honored guest. And I love that when thinking about our broken parts, we can invite them in as honored guests 
and allow them have a seat and allow ourselves to really embrace them because they are a part of who we are. And we can use that as fuel for what we create. Yes to that fist pump, because I actually, that reminds me, I wrote a blog post. It's been a minute. It's been a few years, but I got to a point in my own personal development journey where I realized I was ashamed of the person that I was, you know, in Mm. my twenties and I made so many mistakes and I was, I was a little bit of a wreck. Um, as many of us are in our twenties, it's kind of like a rite of passage, I guess, but it's a huge, it can be for many a huge learning decade. And I was even when I would like write about it, I just was embarrassed and ashamed and realized that like that part of me was crying out and saying like, hey, you know, I was doing the best I could and you yeah. needed to go through this to get where you are now. You you know, you just that's it was my path. And so I it was really healing for me to do that. So I say I give that exercise, you know, I suggest that to anyone listening who is feeling negative feelings towards uh, or hard feelings towards, you know, your past self or the decisions that you made. I've talked a lot about forgiving yourself and it and I it's that also can be a multi-layered process of forgiving other people and forgiving yourself. So I love that. I love that analogy. I've seen that art. I haven't ever seen it in person. I've just seen it online. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It sounds beautiful. And that just reminded me of an exercise. Can I share an exercise? Of course. So one of my, cause I so relate to like early twenties, Amber, that was like, you know, throwing back the wine and popping the Adderall and sleeping with men. I shouldn't be. I was hoping you would say sleeping around because I was like, can I not be the only one? (laughs) And I was like, and then I was so ashamed in my late twenties, you know? And so I was guided through a visualization. And in that visualization, I imagined myself sitting across from, you know, younger Amber, who is more broken, a little lost and confused, but really doing the best that she knew how. And it was, I would imagine a beam of love going from my heart to her heart. And then it was the mantra of, it's okay, I forgive you, I love you, you are welcome here. Mm -hmm. And I just repeated that, it's okay, I forgive you, I love you, you are welcome here. And it was, and it was, what was interesting is that I was able to visualize, um, you know, younger, broken Amber, who was so afraid initially to be sitting across from older, wiser Amber, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as the beam of light happened, and as I repeated that, it was almost like the form of younger Amber changed. And then the most important part of the visualization is after repeating that, you actually merge and you become one with your younger self and your current self. And that's like, it's like a 10 minute visualization. It's all about like how the, the union of an integration of all of the, our parts. Yes to that. I, I, it's funny. I used to not be into visualizations because I was so disconnected <laughs> from my body. And, yeah. you know, that part of me had been just sort of, you know, culturally, I think it is for many women. We like to stay all up in our head and it's just safer and, um, don't get me started on the patriarchy, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I love, 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 love that. And all right. Well, we've kind of touched on this a little bit and I think that it's the whole thought process, you know, the inner critic asking us, what will people think of me? And that happens mm. around new projects, stepping out in a bold way, you know, stepping out into your most powerful self. And then that thought creeps in, like, what will people think of me? So talk to us about the fear of rejection and the fear of what others think of you. Yeah. Woo! This has been, this has been a strong one for me lately. <laughs> <laughs> there's like net galley, and I'm sure you know, yes. there's you know, early advanced copies of the book mm-hmm. going to people who probably aren't my target audience. And hearing, hearing horrible early reviews is like, 
oh, the worst. And you so read you read know, your reviews. You know, I've kind of stopped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my my publicist was like, take a step back from the reviews, and but I like I couldn't. I was like sucked in, wanting to know what these hateful That's comments so were going to be. Yeah, but I, I'm reminded what my friend Ash Ambridge said. I love her so much. Mm-hmm. I in this like breakdown of hearing awful reviews, I reached out to her and she said to me, listen, people either love the color pink or they hate the color pink. But that does not mean that pink should be a faded version of itself. Like imagine if pink tried to be not pink or tried to be less pink just to please the people who hated pink. And I love that because I think so often when, you know, we're afraid of what other people will think, we're afraid of rejection, we we will become less of who we are in order to please them. And that just is a trap in a never ending cycle. And ultimately, anytime I'm asking myself, you know, what will they think of me? I have to come back to wait, 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 what will I think of me? And how can I express what feels true for me, knowing that that is going to reach and connect with the people it's meant to connect with. And for those that it doesn't, great, they don't have to like the shade of pink. Mm-hmm. That's it. Those are some hard lessons. Do you feel like it is? Oh, yeah. I mean, everything we've talked about has been hard lessons, but I think that one is the one that is like the major ass kicker. Yeah. And it's, well, it's because rejection, so rejection actually triggers a part of our brain that's responsible for physical pain. Mm -hmm. So literally when we feel rejection, we feel physically rejection. And it's, you know, it goes back thousands of years ago when if we were rejected, we could literally be kicked out of the tribe Mm -hmm. and we would die. Yeah. And so it's like, oh no, I'm going to get kicked out of the tribe. People aren't going to like me and I literally am going to die is what's, you know, we're experiencing in our body. And, you know, what I'm finding though more is like, I'm, I'm now to a point where I'm like, fuck it, let me aim for rejection because rejection is actually redirection. Yeah. And so if they aren't aligned, that's great. Like, let me then align toward who is and, you know, connect more with them. Yeah, I don't know if I've gotten to that place where I'm like aiming for rejection. <laughs> I'm like, damn, girl, go, go, go for it. I what what has helped me a lot, and I wrote about this in my second book, is that because when I I started blogging in 2008, I think probably like you, and yeah. I remember the first time I wrote a blog post that really hit a nerve with some people, and they were like, "No, we don't like this, and we don't like you." That's not what they mm-hmm. said in the comments, but of course, I took it on as that. Right, and right. I would ask, I asked one particular fellow blogger, and, and she was also very opinionated, and she was like, "You just have to, you know, it's like water on a duck. You just have to let it go." And I felt like something was wrong with me because I'm like, mm. "How do you do that? Do, am I missing something? Am I too sensitive?" Then I went into that whole story. I'm too sensitive. Yeah. I'm not cut out for this. I'm not cut out for publicly showing my art, showing my heart, all of this stuff. So I'm not, it's too risky. I'm not going to do it. And then what I learned was that I'm not too sensitive. I'm human. And mm-hmm. that what I now know is that when you read a bad review or a terrible comment, it can still hurt. It will still hurt. And it's about like kind of letting yourself feel those feelings, that sting of it. And then leaning on the people that matter the most to you, like, you know, you leaning on on Ash and having someone help you talk you off the ledge if they need to, and then going yeah. into those mantras and then employing the tools that you have in order to walk away from that. But I think that it's just a human element of, of it sucks to be criticized. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. 
And it's, you know, do you, we, we always have a choice. Do I want to not, do I want to play small and not be criticized or do I want to put my work out there and definitely be criticized yeah. because you will be. And then we, you know, yeah. we build a resilience. It's not easy. It's like a muscle. Mm-hmm. It's really uncomfortable at first, but you know, some, not, not everyone's going to love what we create and that's okay. Every time you up level, I think that you get met with every topic we've talked about here and especially this one. And I, I had a mentor tell me because I had, I mean, still to, to, to some degree, but especially in the beginning, I had this massive fear of disappointing people. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I don't even know where that comes. I'm going to have to like look into family of origin stuff. And like, where, the, where does that come from? Where's the origin of that? Oh yeah. But I just, I, and that will make you play small because you know, when you, when you are out there more, blah, 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 people understand what I'm talking about. But I had a mentor tell me, Andrea, you will disappoint people. You mm-hmm. will. Is it guaranteed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, no, <laughs> I don't want you to say that's the truth. And I have. I have disappointed people. And and especially if you are a boundary setter, you are going to disappoint people. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It's tricky. <laughs> it's so tricky. It makes me a I remember. I remember. <laughs> When I when I was working with Seth, I was like, oh, I just don't want to fail. And he's like, Amber, you will fail. Yeah. Like, it's okay. So the better question is like, what are you going to do when you do fail? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So it's like the same with and I, fear of disappointment. Woof, that's so strong for me. I like realized I kept playing small because I was afraid of disappointing my publisher and then like afraid of disappointing my agent. And finally I went to my agent. And I was like, I don't know why I'm afraid of disappointing you. I have this like crazy story inside my head. And she's like, okay, number one, I'm on your team. You'll never disappoint me, mm-hmm. which, which is also actually a useful strategy, which is like to talk to the person that you're afraid of disappointing and tell them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like immediately reduces the pressure. Cause you're making up stories. Yeah. Yeah. I'm making up stories. And then they can be like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. We covered so much ground. You are a fast talker like I am. So we covered a ton of ground (laughs) in a short amount of time. So thank you so much. You guys go over to the show notes. All the links are in there that we talked about the blog post. And of course, the most important uh, link to Amber's book, Choose Wonder Over Worry. I suggest you all go out and get it. And thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else that you want to say before we wrap it up? Thank you. One thing I've been thinking about is reminding, I think, especially as women, it can be difficult to like, I guess as a woman, it's always like, I want to create something that helps other people. And I encourage you to create something that helps you and to really start there. A friend of mine years ago, El Luna said to me, you know, what would it look like if you were to heal your own ache? And that came from something Picasso said. Mm -hmm. And that was so profound for me because I was always so focused on guiding and helping other people that I finally thought, hmm, you know, what, what would it look like to, to serve my own self? And, you know, what I've actually found is that through serving myself, I'm able to serve a lot more people. So what is that thing that you want to create just for you? I love that. Oh, thank you so much for your wisdom and your time today. And everyone listening, as always, I am so incredibly grateful that you spent time with me and Amber today. I know that your time is extremely valuable and I just am extending so much gratitude. Thank you for joining me every week here on the show. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. 